Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. For our longtime listeners, you know that at Jew in the City, we like to feature Orthodox Jews that are in unexpected fields, that do unexpected things, have hobbies or interests that are not considered typical. Um, growing up, I think my uh, association with Orthodox Jews was either they were rabbis or diamond dealers. Um, but there's actually a lot of different career paths that um, you'll see Orthodox Jews doing. Um, and today we have a guest with a very interesting, uh, maybe it started off as a hobby, I'm imagining, and then it expanded into a business as well. Um, his name is Jonathan Greenstein, and he's the founder and president at J. Greenstein and Company. It's a boutique auction house that specializes in antique ritual Jewish objects. Um, and he's gotten a little bit of buzz over the years because he's auctioned off celebrity Judaic items like Sammy Davis Jr.'s personal menorah, Joan Rivers Seder plate, uh, Shlomo Karlbach's piano, uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz's Judaica collection. He's been featured on CNN Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, NBC News, Chuck Scarborough, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Um, I mean, on and on and on. It's a very impressive list of where uh, Jonathan and his uh, interesting pieces have been covered. I'm a little bit jelly. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Jonathan. Allison, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. So let's start off first. So, I mean, I did introduce you first as an Orthodox Jew who has this, you know, interesting, uh, I, am I right to say, was it started off as a hobby and then it turned into a career? Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it started uh, when I was thrown out of Yeshiva Flappish in ninth grade, um, and I was used to going finishing school at 6 o'clock in the evening from Yeshiva, and when I went to public school, I finished at about 1, and I got a part-time job in, in an antique shop on King's Highway uh, and E17th Street called The Goldbug. Uh, it was in the, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, late 70s, early 80s, uh, when uh, the price of silver was $50 an ounce. Uh, every little old lady was bringing in her father's and her grandfather's silver kiddish cup and bringing in for the value of silver. Uh, I wasn't really so firm at the time, but I still had a connection to you know Jewish history and you know being traditionally and ethnically Jewish. And uh, I just felt it was wrong to melt these things down for the value of silver. So the non-Jewish owner of this antique shop would allow me to buy um, all the Judaica that came in. That turned into boxes and boxes turned into cases, and eventually I started having to sell things and buy more. And uh, before I knew it, uh, you know, this became a love, a passion, uh, and somewhat of a career. And it's been uh, 36 years so far. Wow. So that's so interesting. So you were raised Orthodox. You kind of had, you got away from it in terms of sort of ritual observance at some point, but the Pentelayid inside you um, couldn't bear to see uh, Judaic items getting melted down and history destroyed. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was raised, uh, how should I say, confused by an atheist, you know, Jewish mother. All four of my grandparents are Jewish, you know, but all four of them ate cheeseburgers. Um, my mother is, you know, was, you know, a non-believer, uh, but she went through the rituals for my father, who was, um, you know, an Orthodox Jew, you know, for the most part. You know, was one of the founding members of the JDL with Mayor Kahana, and um, started Young Israel of Midwood, but, uh, you know, had, had his faults and wasn't really... Uh, I should say a role model, you know, for the Orthodox Jew. So I grew up in Jews, and uh, I, 14, 13, 14 years old, I said, this is, you know, not really so for me. I don't ever remember breaking kashrut, but uh, Shabbos, you know, is definitely a challenge, you know, uh, between smoking cigarettes and, and doing other 
things that were probably somewhat inappropriate at the time. And then as I hit 17, 18 years old, you know, Shlomo Kavach's music and NCSY had a tremendous impact. And before I knew it, I was, you know, back on the derech in the right way, you know, through love and admiration of God, as opposed to having Judaism forced on my throat by yeshiva. Amazing. Um, Now, you were supposed to be making money at this job, but you were spending money to save these pieces. So how did you, I'm saying, were you breaking even? Were you losing money? Did you end up doing better at a certain point because you started reselling them or... Uh, no, back then it was a hobby. You know, you know, being, you know, brutally honest, it was a hobby. Uh, you know, I just kept on buying, going to the flea markets on, on 27th Street uh, in Manhattan, going to house sales, and just trying to really rescue every piece of Judaica. It's never really been an income for me. Uh, I worked as uh, as an EMT for Shlomo Zakheim. I worked in catering, um, Kingsway Jewish Center. I mean, I was really trying to run around and make money, not necessarily to port this habit. You know, this habit sounds like it sounds like a drug habit. Which it really kind of was. It was an addiction, uh, but um, you know, eventually I started selling things. Yeah, you know, making money, sometimes losing a little money. You know, it wasn't really until um, you know my early twenties where I started, you know, taking this a little bit more seriously, and then in my thirties uh, where it became, um, you know, in my early thirties where it became a uh, you know a real business, you know, where people really started collecting, and I started selling them, you know, important objects, buying important objects. And then in 2004, Shmuel Butman um, came to me, and uh, who's uh, the head of the Obama Youth Organization, came to me and asked me if I would run a charity auction for him, you know, being the, um, I guess, the maven of Judaic at the time. And uh, I always had an affinity in Chabad. Uh, I met the Rebbe several times, um, gave me a bracha for Shidduch, and a few weeks later I met my wife. Uh, and um, I said, sure, no problem. And that was 2004, so I got licensed. 2003, so I got licensed. And in 2004, I opened up my own auction house, um, in addition to what I really do for a living, which is I own a home care company and a couple of real estate investment firms. So you started this in 2004 to help out with Sadaka, and you've gotten some interesting items um, through your auction house. So how? So I guess tell us um, about some of the things I talked about, Sammy Davis Jr. and Joan Rivers. Talk about sure. what you, you know had so far, how, how these pieces got to you. Uh, well, the big buzz, I mean, uh, I've always been, you know, obviously very outspoken somewhat in, you know, Jewish activism, uh, but the big buzz really came during the whole Bernie Madoff scandal, uh, where Rabbi Arthur Schindler, um, who was the head of the reform movement for many years, his, well, he passed away, but he left all of his money in trust of Bernie Madoff. Uh, obviously, you know, we know the story of what happened behind it. This was, I think, in 2006, it was, it was a long time ago. Uh, so his wife got a hold of me that he had two pieces of Judaica uh, that uh, he left behind, and she, you know, she wanted to sell them. She needed the money, and um, I sold them. I, I refused to take money from her. I sold whatever I sold it for. That was, you know, what they got. I didn't take any commission from it. And uh, it hit the news, and CNN picked up the story, uh, and then things just kind of found their way to me. Um, you know, Sammy Davis Jr.'s menorah. Sammy Davis Jr. also, you know, converted to Judaism. Uh, was presented with menorah uh, in the early 60s. And then uh, when he died, he owed the IRS a fortune of money. Uh, and I believe they took over his estate and put his menorah and everything else he owned uh, into an auction in California. Uh, the former owner bought it from that estate auction. Uh, and eventually it wound up, you know, through, I guess, you know, different collectors trading it to me. 
Uh, we had it in auction also. It was a while ago, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, and it wasn't really a very beautiful menorah, but, I mean, it's not the Sammy Davis Jr., you know, pretty cool. Uh, we had Joan River Seder plate, you know, in her estate auction. Uh, Melissa, her daughter, sold her, um, sold uh, just about everything that she didn't want, and some of it was Judaica. And one of it was a Seder plate, and again, it was picked up by a collector, uh, given to us, and, you know, it became, um, it was even featured on, um, oh, what's his name, Andy Cohen's Watch What Happens Now. We lent it to him so he could do a little bit of a segment on it. You know, uh, you know while uh, you know, obviously it's, you know, not necessarily, these weren't necessarily from people, you never know when publicizing one of these things, you know, it could just start a trigger or start, yeah. you know, an in, uh, in interest in becoming, um, you know, learning more about your religion. You know, especially with um, incredible intermarriage rates, you know, we've got to do everything possible to, you know, make sure people are connected to Judaism. Right. So now you have um, you have an auction coming up, and this has made quite a bit of news, and I don't know if people realize that the auctioneer and the auction house behind it was an Orthodox guy. So Marilyn Monroe <laughs> has a sitter that's up for auction. So tell us a little bit about this. Uh, also, a very interesting story. Uh, so in 1999, uh, Christie's, uh, Christie's New York, um, auctioned off her entire estate. I don't know why it took 30 years after her death, but that's what happened. You know, and uh, there were three pieces of Judaica menorah, a uh, a reformed sitter, uh, and an Orthodox one. And uh, the Orthodox sitter was bought by a then younger lady. Uh, 20 years later, she's chosen to sell it, uh, and she consigned it to us. The sitter itself is, uh, like I said, it's an Orthodox sitter. Um, it was printed in Vienna in 1922, an English-Hebrew-American sitter, you know, American-based sitter for the American market. Uh, and it has an impression on it presented by the Avenue and Jewish Center. So from my research, originally I thought that, uh, you know, maybe the shul had presented it directly to her, but it, the dates didn't make sense. So what I found out was is that that was Arthur Miller's shul, or was her Jewish husband, that she converted to through the Reform Movement uh, to marry. And... Um, it appears there's a whole bunch of handwriting in it, uh, pencil, you know, uh, certain areas where it says omit, which is, you know, omit tzvatzitzit, which could be hers, you know, or it could be that Arthur Miller received it and he wasn't yet putting on a talus and maybe wasn't wearing tzitzis, uh, and a whole bunch of other notes in pencil. So mm. my, my, my feeling is is that it, it, was, it was given to Arthur Miller uh, as of our Mr. President because the dates make sense, uh, and then he presented it to his wife. Uh, there's also uh, an entry in it a little bit further down where it says take off phylacteries, which are, you know, in normal words, it's filling. You know, so it, it could have been either Arthur Miller's handwriting, which would make a lot more sense. Uh, Marilyn could be also some of her notes. Uh, or it could be a, a you know, rabbi or something uh, that was giving either one of them instructions on what to pray and what not to pray. What kind of feedback have you been getting since uh, the story hit the news? Uh, it, it, it blew up. It really just, you know, Baruch Hashem just blew up. Uh, CNN picked up the story. Washington Post picked up the story. Uh, New York Post, New York Times. Uh, you know, when this all happened was a couple of weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, because uh, it was a small article published by JTA on it, and uh, it just exploded from there. And I've, I've been doing interviews ever since. And, uh, you know, while, you know, it's great, you know, Marilyn Monroe's hitter, you know, there's hopefully be giving a lot of exposure to the other 149 Jewish <laughs> ritual objects that are going to be in the sale, uh, which we're also very excited about. 
but it's it's always uh, you know a celebrity Judaica that winds up getting you know me or you know the the gallery into the newspaper. Correct. Uh, we have the same uh, situation that anything celebrity related gets people the most excited, which I I lament that that's what sort of the point of entry is, but I I see it sort of as a, a means to an end. So now let's talk about the less um, you know well known uh, things that you're going to be featuring. Um, you know what are what are, what are you most excited about? Um, and any stories about how you how these pieces got to you? Uh, well, yes. I mean, some of the exciting pieces are uh, like lot number six, which is a just a regular tin charity box, uh, but it's from the Yeshiva Beis Yosef in Dvinsk, which is now Latvia, and it's the only example that I've ever seen in 36 years. Like I said, a little tin charity box, much like a pushka that you would have had, you know, next to. Um, you know, next to your Shabbos candles, you know, it's as the last, the last mitzvah before Shabbos. Uh, but, uh, you know, being the only example, we wound up putting it into this major sale. You know, because ordinarily little tin charity boxes are worth a couple hundred dollars, but because it's Finks, Yeshiva and Finks, uh, we're estimated between 900 and 1,200. Uh, mm-hmm. There is, uh, right, there is a bunch of interesting Torah shields. Uh, there's the communal cup uh, from a small town that doesn't exist anymore called, uh, excuse me, the Jewish community doesn't exist anymore in, in Wolfhagen, which is uh, an eight, started in 1777, uh, the shul there, and obviously was, uh, you know, destroyed Kresselach. Um Some other exciting things are Torah finials from Yemen, uh, a bunch of very important JNF boxes, you know, Jewish National Fund. You know who uh, Nachum Sokolow was? I don't. No, he's one. Of, he was one of the early Zionists. You know, one of the early you know, fighters for Eretz Israel. We have his 14 karat gold watch, which was given to him uh, by the, the Zionist movement of Luds, Lud, L O D Z, Luds, Lod, or however that's that's pronounced. That wound up by us. Um, there's a Shmira Becher. You know what Shmira is? Um, Shmira, like meaning for someone that dies, like that sort of a thing? Uh, no, but the concept is pretty much the same. Uh, Shmira, uh, back in the days of Eastern Europe and back in the days of having Rebbe's, and even even exists to this day, to some part, uh, a Rebbe had a favorite Talmud or a supporter or um, somebody he liked. He would give one of his coins, you know, a silver coin or a silver spoon or a silver fork or maybe a silver dish, you know, that they used. Uh, and the recipient would melt it down and turn it into a ritual object like a cup or a menorah, maybe a basamim, a spice box. Uh, that's known as shmira, you know, because it comes from a rabbi shmira, from a rabbi watching it over. Uh, we have a very important, um, very important uh, cup of Elijah, you know, for Pesach, uh, made by coins that was given, either given by or received by Rabbi Shalom ben Yisrael Iser, or Iser or Iser, however it's pronounced. Uh, I haven't found very much on him. In fact, I found very, very little. You know, but it's impressed with the original coin, uh, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And then for the more uh, modern collectors, uh, we have a whole bunch of Shuki Freeman uh, and a bunch of Swed silversmiths. There was a collector in Florida uh, named Dr. Zelesnik. He passed away a couple of years ago. In 2016, we sold the overwhelming majority of his estate but there were a whole bunch of really big pieces, including a Torah ark, uh, including um, the five books of Moses. And I'm, I'm speaking, um, you know, as a uh, 
you know, I'm speaking as if I, if I was to a layman. I'm not sure who your listeners are, but uh, I think it's probably best. And we went down recently and shipped everything up. So Shirky Freeman, let's say, would have charged about $100,000 for this you know, group of the five books of Moses. Uh, in the resale market, it's starting out at 15000 one five thousand, and probably will finish up in the twenty to $30,000 range. You know, something, something really, you know, not to sound cliche, but, you know, for every Judaica collector, there's almost 350 years of Jewish ritual objects here, starting in the mm-hmm. late 17th century. So is there um, a, I mean, obviously there's a certain amount of Judaica, probably a lot of it, that was destroyed in the Holocaust. Is there still stuff that might have, I don't know, been taken from the German government or somewhere in Poland that could still get out or get back to people? Is there any hope of you know anything being rediscovered that was in some sort of lost place? Or have we kind of tapped out on that, to your knowledge? Alison, that's an excellent question. Um, it's been my experience over the last 36 years that anything that survived managed to get to this country um, during the great wave of immigration, which started in the late 19th century in the 1880s and ended with World War I. We had over 2 million Jewish immigrants come here, and while they were coming here, they were able to take things with them. You know, it's not like the Soviet Union, Soviet Union exodus in the 1960s and 1970s and 1980s uh, really started out in the 70s, to tell you the truth, um, that they weren't allowed to take anything with them. Back then, we were able to. So what survived was uh, Kiddush Kops, Menorahs, from that, you know, from 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, but they came here and they were safe. Now, a lot of these items are coming out of the closet now as children and grandchildren assimilate and unfortunately don't have much of a connection to, you know, their forefathers' objects come on the market. We find things in estates. We find things in estate sales. Uh, I once found something on eBay, and I emailed you know this person who had a beautiful kiddush cup, and he said, "Yeah, my grandfather was Jewish." And you know, this is unfortunately the typical American story. You know, it's you know, selling Bubby's candlesticks because nobody wants them. Wow, discarding Bubby's uh, traditions and the ritual objects that go with them. So why why should we care? I'm saying like why is collecting Judaica something? I mean, you obviously have this uh, nearly lifelong passion for it, but um, for your average person that maybe the spark hasn't hit yet, um, why do you believe that this is a cause that that the Jewish community should care about? A uh, bunch of different reasons. Reason number one is that you know I'm seeing that stuff that I sold in you know the late eighties, early nineties. You know, when it's being recirculated now, everybody, everybody, everything I sold makes money. You know, back then, you know, over the course of 10, 15 years, uh, it's investment. Um, obviously, as the years go by, there are less and less things available, uh, and it becomes, you know, almost impossible to find quality. So, you know, it's a good investment. That's number one. And number two, Kedusha. Is there more Kedusha using a Kiddush cup that's 150 years old that was used by generations of Jews? Or something that you pick up, you know, in a retail store that was brand new, made in Italy or made here in America. I don't know. My feeling is that I'd rather have the spirit or the spirits of the people before them um, when I'm making the bracha. It adds extra kedusha. Um, number three, it's, it's beautiful. You're teaching your children and your grandchildren uh, history, heritage, um, not just that everything off the shelf is, you know, is beautiful, but that things were beautiful 100, 200, 300 years ago. And most importantly, back then, everything was made by hand. You know, 
to make a ketoscope now, you pour some silver into a machine, you know, it's mass-produced, and that's pretty much the end of it. You know, back then you had a, you know, a holy silversmith taking a piece of silver and literally hammering things out by hand with chisels and hammers. You bring the shtetl back to life on your Shabbos table. You know, I'm just thinking as you're saying this that we live in a really disposable society. Just, you know, you got buy your kids something, they break it, they lose it, they want, they want it again, and this is really this lesson of, you know, caring for old items and really, um, you know, giving weight to uh, the, the place and the time that they come from. Um, who is your average buyer? Like, what? how expensive is this, and what kind of demographic do they get to? Um, is there sort of a way to dip your toe in if you haven't become a collector yet to sort of get the hang of it? Uh, yeah, we run four auctions a year in addition to having the retail gallery. Uh, two auctions a year are major auctions, which means that the bidding starts at eight, eight, about approximately seven, eight hundred dollars, uh, and goes all the way to you know infinity and beyond. You know, you know the most expensive things we've sold are you know in like a couple hundred thousand dollar range. You know, but you know the right piece can go for a million bucks or so. Uh, and then we have two minor auctions where the bidding really starts out at about forty, fifty dollars. Uh, and that runs up to a thousand dollars. We do two, you know, two auctions of the smalls and two auctions of the big ones um, every year. You know, alternating one big, one small, one big, one small. Everything is obviously online um, or in person. You know, we actually have an auction house in Cedarhurst on Central Avenue, or um, there's order bidding and there's phone bidding. Mm-hmm. So you have an upcoming auction. So tell us when this is. You know what's going to be available, and then how our listeners could go about participating if, uh, if this interests them. Yep, November twelfth, um, two weeks. I think two weeks from tonight, to tell you the truth, at six o'clock uh, in the Greenstein Gallery on Central Avenue. Um, you can go to the website and fill out the form, you know, to bid. Uh, or another alternative is going at the LiveAuctioneers.com, which allows you to bid live uh, along with me, you know, as uh, I'm conducting the auction, it really puts you into the room, uh, or the old traditional way of just coming, you know, to the gallery uh, at, you know, an hour or two before the auction, signing up, and you get a paddle, you know, much like on TV, and you participate, you know, or you could uh, set up an order bid, you know, where you fax in a bid to us, we will execute it on your behalf, or... You know, some people want to be on the phone while a particular line is, is uh, happening. But the first thing to do is obviously just call the gallery and order a catalog. There's no charge. Uh, we'll mail it to you as long as we have them. Uh, and it's uh, a nice book you can put it on your coffee table. Uh, some people bring it, um, you know, bring it with them to Taf Yomi so they don't have to read Gamar at the time. Or, you know, that was a joke. You know, over to uh, Shul, you know. And so how long, so it starts at six, how long does an average auction last for? And how, how many items are up for, for bidding? Um, our smallest auction has been about 100 items, and our largest auction has been close to 400. Uh, it depends on what's available by the time we put the catalog together and what's been consigned to us. This upcoming auction has 150 lots uh, and should probably run about two, two and a half hours, depending on how much action there is per lot. You know, I run as an auctioneer anywhere between uh, 70 and 90 lots you know, per hour. So you know, it really depends on the action in the room, you know, against and the action on the Internet. Is there a way, I'm saying as someone who's not really ever been part of this before, like let's say you find a Kiddush cup that you like, you look through the catalog, is there a certain time in the evening that you know that the Kiddush cup is coming up and you call in for that? Like you need to be present for the whole two hours? or No, no, no. Uh, we, we, we call the bidder uh, five lots before the auction comes up. You know, they supply us with their cell phone number, 
um, and uh, uh, six to seven minutes before the the item comes up, they'll get a call from you know one of our phone bidding representatives. We'll get them on the phone and let them know we're coming up to your lot. Um, stand by, and we'll put them on hold for two seconds. And just before they get on the lot, you know we will actually uh, we will bid for them. You know uh, the young lady or the young man that's on the other end of the phone. Uh, we'll talk to the client and say, "All right, we have a bid of a thousand. Would you like to go eleven hundred? It's really just you know being a relay and putting that person in the room where they're unavailable to be there. Got it. And what about geographic location? Since everything, I guess, has this virtual ability now, um, are, are most people still coming from the New York area, or sort of how far out or no, far flung? No, no, those days are over. You know, uh, in the olden days, I mean, the olden days meaning the early two thousands, we used to rent the Sheridan Hotel in the city. Um, and after the Sheridan, we rented, uh, oh, what was the other one? In Herald Square. I don't know, the Radisson in Herald Square. Uh, and we used to set up 50, 75 chairs. You know, people would come, they would register, they would bid, we'd have a bunch of people on the phone, some people would trust us with the order bidding. Uh, you know, and nobody trusted the, the internet, even when it just started to exist. Now it's just the opposite. Now we get maybe seven or eight people in the audience, um, 30, 40 set up on the internet. Uh, 10, 15 on the phones, um, and a whole bunch of order bidding. You know, people will say, all right, I want to go to 10,000 on this piece. And after, you know, doing this for so long, you know, there's an element of trust, and I take that very seriously. And let's, um, let's, like, so let's say somebody gives me a bid of $10,000, and the next previous, you know, the previous bid is 6000 You know, the person gave me a bid up to 10000 but if there's no other bidders, he's going to get that for $6,500 because that's the next bid up. They give me an upper limit, and uh, and that's where we, uh, we we respect that, and we take that very seriously. Um, okay, so they can go to jgreenstein.com to register, to either register on your website or call up and put an order in or fax something in. Is that, is that the best sort of um, actionable item to do after listening to this? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Either that or, you know, if they don't want to go to the website, just pick up the phone and call. Abe is there, you know. Uh, Abe Kugielski has been with me for a very, very long time. You know, very honorable guy, second generation Judaic dealer. Uh, you know, he runs the gallery. You know, like I said, in my real life, I'm, I'm a mercy home care from morning to night every day. You know, he's there, and I, in the evenings after I leave here, I go to the gallery and review what happened and write up some of the pieces and evaluate things and you know, write up um, you know uh, d different uh, evaluations of things. You know, but uh, you know, he's there and he answers the phone. You know, even when he's not there, he phones calls to his phone. So, you know, 24-6, you want to give us a call, we'll answer the phone for you. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. And also, as you're saying this, I'm just also thinking that, you know, there are Jews that are known for, you know, saving Jews in different types of crises throughout history. And you sort of have this special thing that you've saved Jewish items um, from, you know, sudden death. So um, it's really a beautiful service that you've done to, uh, you know, for the Jewish community um, and to have people, you know, not just uh, discard history, but, uh, you know, bring it into their homes and into their hearts. So thank you so much for uh, for your work in this um, and for letting us thank know you. about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm a big fan of your website and will always continue to be. Very, very interesting things there. Yeah. Thanks so much and uh, good luck with the auction. All right, Colts, be well. Thank you. And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.